What's good, everybody? This is it. Last episode of our Gifts of the Spirit series. This is going to be lesson four, and we're going to be talking about the utterance gifts. Right now, in this moment, coming up on the Movement Podcast. All right, before we get into this final lesson of our series, we're going to do a quick little recap of the first three lessons of what we covered. In lesson one, we kind of just talked about the general overview of the gifts of the Spirit. What do they look like? What do they sound like? What are they for? What's the purpose? How do we tap into them? And kind of where's their place in the modern day apostolic church? The second lesson was about the revelation gifts because we talked about the gifts of the Spirit are broken up into three categories, the revelation gifts, the power gifts, and the utterance gifts. And in that second lesson, we talked about the revelation gifts, which have to do with God just giving you divine information or insight about a situation or a person that you couldn't possibly have in your own flesh, whether that be through word of knowledge, word of wisdom, or the discerning of spirits. The last lesson, we talked about the power gifts, and that is the gift of faith, gifts of healing, and the working of miracles. And we talked about how the gift of faith is different than the measure of faith each man is given with. It is a dose of God faith to kind of propel you over the top to accomplish whatever it is that God is wanting, to, wanting you to accomplish in that moment. And then we have gifts of healing, plural gifts, because just like all of these gifts of the Spirit, healing is the same way. God doesn't intend for just one singular person only to be able to operate in one specific gift. It's not a gift of healing that certain people have and certain people don't. It's his desire that when we're filled with the spirit, we operate in gifts of healing. And then we have the working of miracles. And the only difference between healing and a miracle is a healing is a process. Healing puts someone on a journey, whereas a miracle is instant. It's instantaneous. So now we're caught back up at where we are now in lesson four. We're talking about the last group, which is the utterance gifts. Again, if you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 through 11, go back, pause this podcast, open up your Bible app, open up your Bible, go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 11 real quick, just to kind of refresh your memory before we move any further. The three gifts we're going to talk about today that are classified as the utterance gifts is diverse kinds of tongues, an interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. Now, these three gifts, they deal with anointed utterance. They deal with you speaking. They're very easy to identify because they're vocal. It's God giving you a very specific message for you to speak to an individual or to the church body. And if it's in a a language you don't understand, that would be diverse kinds of tongues, and that would be followed up with an interpretation. Or if it is your native language, that is what we call gift of prophecy. The revelation gifts involve insight. The power gifts involve action. And the utterance gifts involve speaking. So what's the purpose of the utterance gifts? Again, the purpose of the utterance gifts are the same purpose of all the other gifts of the Spirit, and it's it's found in Ephesians 4 and 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. That is the purpose of all nine of the gifts of the Spirit, is to prepare you for ministry as a saint and to build up the body of Christ. The utterance gifts specifically deal with God speaking through man to deliver a message. It could maybe reveal a transgression. It could prompt people back to uh, a certain way of spiritual living. It could proclaim God's promises. It could give comfort. It could reaffirm. Whatever word God is needing at the time 
for the building up of the body and the preparing of the saints for ministry, it can be given directly through a gift of utterance. Now understand clearly, and this is probably something I should have covered in the first lesson, but it really comes up when you begin to talk about the gifts of utterance. The gifts of utterance and all the other six gifts of the Spirit were never meant to replace the preaching of the Word of God, but rather they were meant to confirm that what was being preached was of God. Sometimes people think, well, I don't need preaching because God spoke to me directly, or God gave me a word of prophecy, or God gave me a tongue and interpretation, so I don't need preaching, God spoke to me. But check out what Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4 says. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? which at first being spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. That sounds familiar, right? That phrasing sounds familiar. Gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. It sounds a lot like what we read about uh, in our scripture text, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 through 11, where these are gifts of the Holy Spirit and they're given as he wills them. Another translation says, the Lord bore witness to the accuracies of their message through miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See, the intended purpose of the gifts were to work in conjunction with the preached word of God. They were meant to be validation and confirmation. They were never meant to be substitution. And this is very important because the Bible teaches us that God didn't choose to save man by gifts. God chose to save man by what the Bible calls the foolishness of preaching because to us, it seems foolish and it seems weird that preaching can save our souls, but this is exactly what the Bible says, that he chose the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. In Romans chapter 10, the writer is talking about anyone who believes and calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we know that means if you believe and call on the name of the Lord, you will then follow his instructions, which is repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the writer of Romans is saying, hey, if you call upon the Lord and you believe in him, you will be saved. But watch what he says in verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? So he's saying they can't call on the Lord and be saved if they don't believe in him. And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard of? So they need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. But how can they call on him if they don't believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Man cannot be saved by merely experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. Man cannot nearly be saved by praying a lot. Man cannot nearly be saved by worshiping a lot. But man needs preaching. And whether the preaching is coming from pastor at church or the preaching's coming at a youth service or a youth rally, or you're in your, your home teaching a Bible study, or you're witnessing to someone at school, you are preaching, all of us have a responsibility and a need to be preaching and to be preached to. Because it's that preaching that will bring conviction. And conviction is what brings us to repentance, and repentance is what leads us to salvation. That's what the Bible tells us. And I know grace is always constant. Grace is always existent. I understand. But the first step to salvation is repentance. Grace isn't a step. It's not a step. It just exists. But that first step of salvation is repentance, realizing that the way you've been living is wrong, and you want to re-gear yourself towards the things of God's kingdom. 
and you repent and say, God, I am sorry. And you totally flip around the life you were living and now you're living a life for God. But that doesn't come without conviction and conviction does not come without preaching. So it doesn't matter how many spiritual experiences you're having. It doesn't matter how wonderful your worship services are. It doesn't matter how how incredible the prayer meetings are at home alone. You need preaching. You need the preached word of God. We all do. And when the utterance gifts, along with all the other gifts of the Spirit, are used in their proper place, they don't replace preaching, but they actually confirm what is being preached. It confirms that the message that is being spoken is true because it is being followed by miracles, signs, and wonders, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the first gift we're going to talk about in the utterance category is diverse kinds of tongues, or another translation says a various kind of tongue. The first thing we have to understand is that the diverse kinds of tongues that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians is not the same type of speaking in tongues that we see in the book of Acts as evidence of the Holy Spirit. Some modern Christian culture tries to teach that speaking in tongues is not evidence of the Holy Spirit. You accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You have now received the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is an additional gift, and they reference 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as tongues being an additional gift. But the problem with that is that they're looking at the word tongues, and they're saying, look, the tongues are the same, right? Like, When they spoke in tongues, that was God giving them the gift of tongues that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But that's not really what we need to look at. We need to look at the word gift. Because see, there is a difference between the gift of the Holy Spirit that we read about in the book of Acts that was followed with them speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of them being speaking in a diverse kind of tongue. See, the word gift we see in in the book of Acts is doria. And the word for gift in 1 Corinthians is cherish. See, Doria makes reference to a gift that's freely given. It isn't earned. It doesn't come with any strings. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not something you can earn. It's something God freely gives you. However, cherish, when you say the gift, a cherish gift, it's referring to a gift given for a specific purpose of action. It's not freely received. Like it's only given for a specific purpose. And if you're not going to use it for that purpose, you're not going to get it. That's what that word means. And so the gift of the Holy Ghost being made evident with speaking in tongues is not something that comes with strings. It's not something that you have to earn. It's freely given to you when you believe and act on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given with a specific purpose. What's that purpose? Ephesians 4 and 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. And these gifts cannot truly be given if they are not actually used. So because we know that the gift of the Holy Spirit is different than the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's also logical to infer that the tongues in relation to Acts given for the Doria gift and the tongues given in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Cherish gift, are also different. The sign may be the same, tongues, but the gift is different. The gift is distinct. The sign may look and sound the same, but the purpose of it is totally different. Because if you read in Acts, whenever Peter goes in and preaches to Cornelius for the first time and they receive the Holy Ghost... How do they know they got the Holy Ghost? Because Peter says to all the other Jews that were in, in the upper room, hey, they were filled with the Spirit just like we were. It looked exactly like it did when we got the Spirit. 
And everywhere throughout the book of Acts, when people received the Holy Spirit, they spake with other tongues. That was the evidence. So, so the sign looks the same. It looks like and sounds like tongues, but the gift that is being imparted at salvation versus the gift that is being imparted when you operate in the gift of diverse kinds of tongues, the gift is different. One is freely given. One is for, for you. One is for the edification of you. The other is for the body. It's given for a purpose. It's very similar like what we talked about in the last lesson with the gift of faith and the gift of faith differing from the measure of faith that man is given by God. But the spirit moves on some people at a certain time and gives them a extra level of faith. It gives them an extra ability of faith. It gives them an extra jolt of faith to either speak faith into the church body or act in gifts of healing or the working of miracles. In similar fashion, everyone is promised the spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. So if you receive the Holy Ghost, you will speak in tongues. Subsequently, The spirit moves on some people and gives them to speak a message to the church body in tongues, which will then be accompanied by an interpretation. And this is a very important distinction because there are many people within different Christian denominations that are actually trying to preach against openly speaking in tongues as a result of all of Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. But the confusion doesn't come from Paul's writing. The confusion comes from not understanding the difference between the Doria gift, which is the Holy Spirit, which is accompanied by the evidence of speaking in tongues, and the Cherish gift, which is the gift of tongues for the purposes of interpretation. They're given for a purpose. And so let's read some of these scriptures that confuse some people in the modern Christian church. 1 Corinthians 14 and 5, it says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. And again, remember, in this context, in chapter 14, Paul is not referring to speaking in tongues as evidence of the Holy Ghost, not talking about the gift Doria, he's talking about the gift Cherish. Paul establishes the subject matter of the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then he continues specifically discussing the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And what Paul was doing was comparing the two speaking gifts, tongues and prophecy, and their ability to edify the church as a corporate unit. Paul was not trying to dissuade people from praying and speaking in tongues. In fact, you can read where Paul says he speaks in tongues daily. He speaks in tongues of men and angels. He wasn't trying to dissuade them from speaking in tongues or saying, hey, speaking in tongues isn't good. You need to prophesy. Don't speak in tongues. He was trying to make an overall point to that church specifically that if one does not have an interpretation for a message given in tongues, it doesn't do you any good. In fact, we can reread that scripture and the the punctuation here is really important. It says, to the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Okay, if you just put a period right there, it sounds like Paul is saying, hey, it's better to prophesy than to speak in tongues. But finish reading it. It says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So what Paul is basically saying is tongues and in- tongues follow with an interpretation and prophecy accomplish the same mission. However, if you're only going to speak in tongues and not have an interpretation, then it's better that you prophesy. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28, it says, If any speak in tongue, let there be only two or three at most, each in turn, and let someone interpret. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. A message in tongues is only beneficial to the church if the church can understand it and receive it. And Paul tells us throughout this chapter that it is good to pursue and to be zealous, to be passionate about spiritual giftings, but to always remember their purpose, to always put them in context. Because remember, the, the church in 1 Corinthians, they were going kind of crazy. They were, they were pursuing spiritual giftings out of pride. They were carnal. There was no order. You just had people doing whatever they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it, and it was just chaotic. So Paul was having to put some parameters and some understanding with the gifts of the Spirit. And so with the gift of tongues, an eloquent message in tongues, no matter how beautiful and powerful it can be, it holds no value if it is not interpreted. Now, in Pentecostal services, which is what our church is, an apostolic Pentecostal church, it is not uncommon for many people to be speaking in tongues while during an altar service or even during praise and worship, um, maybe even during prayer meeting, but people aren't running around interpreting everybody as they speak in tongues and as they pray in tongues. So the question people often ask is, how do we match up? How does this match up with what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Does it match up with within an apostolic church, people are just praying and seeking God and speaking in tongues, but yet there isn't a constant interpretation of every single person in a church speaking in tongues at every moment. Does this match up with what we just read in 1 Corinthians 14? It does. It does match up. Because remember, Paul was speaking of the gift of tongues, referring to God delivering a message to the body via diverse kinds of tongues. He wasn't talking about speaking in tongues as personal communication and edification to oneself. The Bible teaches us that when we don't know what to pray for, we can begin to pray in the Spirit. We can begin to pray in tongues and the Spirit will pray on our behalf. But it doesn't then say, and then you need an interpretation. So speaking in tongues in the context of a church service or a personal prayer or, or a worship service or an altar call is 100% appropriate because the communication is happening between an individual to God. The individual is being edified with no attempt to then speak that message to the body. That's the key difference. If the message is not going to a body, it doesn't need an interpretation because it's for the self-edification of the individual that is praying in the spirit. So the stipulation of every tongue requiring an interpretation does not apply to individuals who are praying to God in tongues. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. There is no limit to the people that can begin to pray in tongues when there is no expectation of an interpretation. Anyone and everyone has the right to pray in tongues in church. Everyone has the right to pray within the Spirit even without an interpretation, as long as they are praying to God and not intending to deliver a message to people. In 1 Corinthians 14, 18 and 19, it says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul is saying he speaks in tongues all the time. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others in 10,000 words in tongues. So again, Paul was not discouraging us from praying in tongues. And we see it in Acts 19 and 6. He believes in tongues as a sign of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But his point was, when I'm in private, 
I pray in tongues all the time. The Spirit is constantly praying on my behalf. However, I would rather speak fewer words that I know that are from God that you can understand rather than speak 10,000 words in tongues and there be no interpretation because you can't do anything with them. A five-word sermon that you can understand is more valuable than a 10,000-word sermon in a language you don't know is basically all Paul was saying. Paul didn't have a problem with speaking in tongues as personal edification. He did, however, have a problem with giving a message in tongues and there be no interpretation. Because when communicating to the church body, the church body must be able to understand. So how do you know the difference between a tongue that must be interpreted and one that doesn't? It's all about the audience. Are you praying to just, just between you and God? Are you having personal prayer in your home? Are you at prayer meeting? Are you in a worship service? Are you at an altar call praying and seeking God and you begin to pray in tongues? You don't need to have an interpretation for that. However, if God is prompting you to give a message in tongues to the congregation for the purpose of building up saints for the work of the ministry and edification of the body of Christ, then it must have an interpretation. Okay, so now we're going to go into how interpretation works. The gift of the interpretation of tongues is the Siamese twin to diverse kinds of tongues. Speaking with tongues, as we've already discussed, for the church edification demands an interpretation. Which brings us to the subject at hand, how does the interpretation work? Some will get an interpretation by a word or a phrase or a sentence, or maybe even in some cases a vision. But just like all the other gifts of the Spirit, it comes by an unction or a prompting of the Spirit. As the message in tongues is going forth, the interpreter that God wishes to use will receive a, a signal, a prompting, an unction from the spirit that lives within them. However, it may happen for the interpreter, whether it be through word, phrase, sentence, or vision, however God chooses to move on that person, they will immediately reach or feel that God has given them an interpretation for that tongue that has gone forth. Now, the key thing to remember is that it's interpretation, not translation. This kind of trips people out sometimes because they'll hear a tongue that is long and lengthy and the interpretation seems a whole lot shorter or vice versa. The tongue is short and the interpretation seems a whole lot longer, but that's because you have to remember it's an interpretation of the tongue. It is not a translation of the tongue. There was a, in, in Brother Stone King's book, he writes about one time when he was giving an interpretation and he was only given one word, marching. And this, this word kept going in his mind, marching, marching, marching. And he began to reason with God saying, God, this isn't much to go on. The tongue is still going. And yet you're only giving me one word, marching. But knowing God as he does without any further hesitation, when the tongue ceased, he began to speak out the word marching and still nothing came. So he spoke it out again, marching. And he spoke it out a third time, marching. And on the third time, suddenly what unfolded before him was a vision of saints robed in white, marching towards the pearly gates, receiving their crown of life. And he began to, to give that vision. He began to speak out what he was seeing as the interpretation for that tongue. The unfolding scene was simply told to the congregation with anointing and excitement of such an incredible message. There was no need for anything else. The entire congregation came forward on bended knees and began to weep and praise God because they feel like he really spoke to them. See, God uses humans as vessels to speak to other humans in order to relate to other humans. 
God will use your life experiences. He will use your thought pattern and he will use you as an individual. Some people may be poetic. Some people may be elegant. Others may be simple. And so if they're simple, their interpretations will be simple. If they're elegant, their interpretations will be elegant. If you have an individual that works as a mechanic and not that they're dumb, but you know, they, they, they aren't a, they don't have a master's in British literature. They, they're a mechanic. They're not going to speak in interpretation with these and thous. They're going to speak as they speak because it's an interpretation, not a translation. And inversely, if you have somebody who has, you know, a PhD in British lit, it's going to be a lot more elegant, the interpretation will be, than a person who is of another background or of other skill set. Because God uses humans to speak to humans in order to relate to humans. So now the last one we're going to talk about is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is a special ability to speak forth a message from God. And someone operating in the prophetic, the easiest way to think about it is they are just a spokesman for God. It's pretty much the same thing that's happening when a tongue goes forth, except it's in your native language. That's the easiest way to think about it. When someone is given a message in tongues, they are given a direct message in a language they don't know. When someone is given a word of prophecy, they are given a message in a language that they do know. He or she will deliver the word of God to the people by means of direct revelation. Prophetic utterance can deal with certain individuals, it can deal with the church, or it can deal with a larger issue, but it's a direct message from God. And prophecy can be broken down into two parts, forthtelling, which is the meaning of retelling something that has already happened. So when we preach from the Bible, we are retelling the lives of individuals, we're retelling the happenings of God's people, we're retelling about miracles that happen in the Bible, and in essence, we're forthtelling prophecy. Forthtelling is, is a setting forth or bringing forth that which has already happened. We are given a direct message to God's people and we're using past events to deliver that message. So if God is giving you a message of, hey, just have faith, you can defeat any giant that comes against you, and we are using the references of David and Goliath, we are in essence forthtelling. If I am being prophetic and saying, hey, I'm speaking a direct message right now. God is going to defeat any giant in your life, and I'm going to use the references of David and Goliath. That is foretelling. And then we have foretelling, which is we're giving a direct message from God regarding something that hasn't happened yet. We must remember that in either case, prophecy will always be in harmony with God's word. If somebody gives you a word of prophecy and it doesn't match up with the Bible, it's wrong. Prophecy will always coincide with set doctrine within the word of God because God's word is forever settled. And prophecy will never replace the Bible or diminish its worth, but one will complement the other and will augment your life as you walk in the spirit. A word of prophecy can change your life, but it will always line up with the word of God. So let's kind of dive into forthtelling a little bit. Because prophecy doesn't always refer to speaking of the future. We think prophecy, like, oh, you're a fortune teller. That's not really what the gift of prophecy is. The gift of prophecy is God just using you to deliver a direct word. So let me give you a real life example that happened to me to help you better understand the way prophetic foretelling works. So a few years ago, I was on an all-state choir trip. And the long story short, we were having an incredible, incredible prayer meeting. And God gave me a very direct word for one of my friends. So I walked over and I began to speak this word and, and the shortened version of it was, you are wrestling with something right now 
But if you continue to wrestle, one day you are going to have a Jacob to Israel transformation. God is going to bring you from who you are now into who you are called to inevitably be if you just continue to wrestle like he brought Jacob to become Israel. And he spoke to me after and he said how incredible that word was and how he knew it was directly from God. And in that moment, God used me to speak a direct word to my friend. And in order for me to properly convey the message that God was giving, I had to go all the way back into the past and grab an example of the type of work that God did in the Old Testament to show him what God was prepared to do for him. I was forthtelling. I was giving him a message, but I was using past events to deliver that message. So that's forthtelling. Now, foretelling is an unction by the Spirit about something that hasn't yet happened yet. Anyone filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost may be able to possess the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy and operation will appear and sound almost exactly like an interpretation of tongues, but there just isn't a tongue that preceded it. The gift of prophecy isn't some weird spooky thing like, oh, I'm a fortune teller or in five years, the stock market's going to crash. It will simply be spoken out by a person operating in the gift of prophecy as God gives them a very direct message and they begin to speak the mind, wisdom, and the plan of God. That's it. To operate in the prophetic is just to speak direct messages from God to his people. And this can happen during a sermon. This can happen during a song. This can happen during a prayer meeting. This can happen at any moment, at any moment that, it, that God wants to deliver a word through an individual and that individual submits themselves and speaks out the message God has given him. They are operating in the prophetic. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, it says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation. The gift of prophecy doesn't have to be some weird, spooky thing. It doesn't have anything to do with fortune telling or predicting the future. It's just God giving you a very direct message to give his church for his purpose in your native language. Whatever the message is, whether it's a message of rebuke and correction, whether it's a message of encouragement, a message of love, whatever message God feels the church needs in that moment will be given to the church through humans, through tongues and an interpretation and the gift of prophecy. Even today, God wants to speak to us. He speaks to us privately. He speaks to us in our personal devotion. He speaks to us when we are alone with him. But his voice also desires to ring aloud corporately to the whole body. And he does it through the gifts of utterance. He wants to speak not just to you, but he wants to build up his whole body, speaking messages to his whole church. And he does that through you, through the gifts of utterance. And in the conclusion of this series... I want to remind you how vital all nine gifts of the Spirit are to the longevity of a truly apostolic church. These gifts are not meant to be feared, nor are they meant to be controlled by man, but rather they are giftings God wants to unlock in each and every follower of Him. And He wants you to unlock them because it will equip you for ministry and it will build up His church. We need the gifts of the Spirit operating in our church. We need the gifts of the Spirit operating every day, everywhere that we go in our lives. 
In Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, and I've read this in another lesson, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation, which at first being spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by us who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and with wonders and with diverse miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. And in Acts 8 and 6, and when the crowd heard Philip and they saw the signs he performed, they paid very close attention to him. The operation of the gifts of the spirit, the revelation gifts, the power gifts, and the utterance gifts will work in tandem with the preached word of God and will confirm that everything we believe, everything that we speak, everything that we preach, and everything that we do is true. The revelation gifts give us knowledge. The utterance gifts give us words. The power gifts give us action. And when we operate in these giftings of the spirit together for the building up of his kingdom, it validates we are who God says we are and God can do exactly what he says he can do. But the interesting thing to remember here is that revelation gifts deal with your mind, utterance gifts deal with your words, and power gifts deal with your hands. But there are no gifts of the spirit that involve your feet. Because God can supernaturally give you thoughts, God can supernaturally give you words, and God can supernaturally use your hands to perform action, but he will not supernaturally move your feet to go. That is your job. The gifts of the Spirit are given as God wills. But how spiritual you are, that's all up to you. And the most important thing to remember through this entire series is that don't ever pursue the giftings of the Spirit more than you are pursuing being spiritual. God will give you thoughts. God will give you words. God will give you action, but God cannot make you go. You have to tap into your own faith and say, God, I'm going to accept the call that you have placed on my life and I am willing to do whatever it is you are calling me to do and I'm going to step out by faith and trust that as I step out, you will give me the words to say. As I step out, you will give me the thoughts to think and as I step out, you will give me the things to do. But it all starts when a young man or a young woman makes up in their mind that God, I am not going to pursue your hands. I'm rather going to pursue your face. I don't want to pursue the work of God more than I pursue my relationship with God. And if you remember that, if you remember that everything that is given to you through the Spirit is as He wills, and you can never replace true spirituality with actions of the Spirit, you're going to be all right. And you're going to be able to accomplish every single thing God has placed on your heart to do. And you, right now, in this moment, in your world, in your school, at your job, at family gatherings, can be a vessel of ministry that can bring people into the kingdom. And the tools that are going to be in your tool belt are going to be these nine gifts of the Spirit. And just like that, our Gift of the Spirit series is wrapped up. It is over. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. If you have any additional questions or things you'd like to discuss in depth, please reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. If you want to keep up with both the podcast and our local student ministry, you can follow us on Instagram. All one word, all spelled out, The Movement Students. Hit subscribe, hit like, hit follow, whatever you got to do on your podcasting platform to keep up to date with new episodes. We love y'all, and we'll see you later on the Movement Podcast. Oh.